I'm Stephen Price. Hello, I'm Cara Githens. This is The Innkeepers, a podcast by Sanctuary Inn. At Sanctuary Inn, we believe we are called to equip, refresh, and restore God's global workers. On this podcast, we will be interviewing guests who have much to teach us about the many facets of missionary care. Let's learn together and be encouraged to press on in the work God has given each one of us to do. Welcome so. to our podcast with Tim Betcher, and uh, yeah, thank you for joining us today, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. Tim grew up in the Philippines, and he's going to share more about that experience. So he's going to talk about his life as a TCK or a third culture kid. And uh, Tim also raised his kids overseas, and so he's going to share that experience too. So we felt like um, our time or our conversation with Tim would be a great resource. So Tim, let's just start in with uh, you sharing a little bit about your experience growing up in the Philippines and what that was like. And so just share a little bit about that. My parents uh, moved to the Philippines when I was three years old. And I don't have a whole lot of memories of that, uh, of that initial period. Um, I do remember the flight over. I have memories from the flight. That's impressive. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I remember that whenever it would bank, I would think that the wings were going to touch the water and we were going to fall into the ocean, um, which was technically right. It had to be been lower. But, yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have um, – I, I, we don't have a whole lot of memories of that time. Although uh, my mom tells me um, that at that time I struggled uh, on a couple of different levels. One, I didn't like the, I didn't do well in the in the humidity. Um, I became kind of cranky and it was kind of a difficult kid. Um, and my mom used to take me shopping, and she would go down to the market to shop, which was a big, big open air market. And um, as we would go down through the aisle, here I was, this three-year-old kid with, believe it or not, I actually had hair back then. It was actually curly blonde hair. Oh, my. And um, I would get my hair pulled and my, my cheeks pinched. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it was really disagreeable to me. And, again, I don't have memory of this, but my mother tells me that after a few times, I pretty much insisted I wasn't going to go anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, um, you, you, were, you were a novelty, yeah, I was. Yes, they really wanted to see: was it real? Was it real? Oh, was it real? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what's or what does it feel like? Um, and I, so I grew up white in a brown world, and um, uh, sort of a minority. Um, and I felt uh, probably it, it was actually when I, when we came back to the United States that I realized that I kind of lived two steps back from the culture. Uh, one, I was a white white kid in a brown culture. Uh, and an American living in a Filipino context. And then the second thing was that um, I was a Protestant in a Catholic environment. And that was fairly significant. We were significantly different. Um, At that time, the number of Protestants in the Philippines was very minimal. It was like maybe two or three percent. Today, it's like 20, 25. Wow. It's been a huge shift um, in the Philippines. Uh, And I'm not sure of that final uh, statistic, but I know when we went there, we were very much the minority. Um, my, my parents were involved in radio ministry. So doing a podcast doesn't feel too unfamiliar to me. Uh-huh. Um, and um, the, because of the nature of the ministry, um, most of the missionaries were all living on a compound. This compound was very international. 
um, it, it became more international as time went on because Manila was the, the hub of broadcasting. And if you, if you look at Manila, you can see that almost all the other Asian countries are sort of in a, an array uh, around the Philippines. Okay. And so they would broadcast into China and uh -huh. um, many different dialects, into India, into Indonesia. And so we had different workers from these different countries coming and doing program. Okay. Uh, we also broadcast it in Russian. So we had Russians, uh, Russian Americans, they were Russian Americans. We had um, uh, Japanese, a Japanese family. We had, we had a Vietnamese family. We had many different, uh, so we had a Selenese family as well. So we had a whole lot of different cultures all together on our compound. But it was very much dominated by American culture and um, it was a it was a, a pretty amazing childhood in that um, I grew up with other kids who had the similar experiences, even though they came from different areas, different countries. They all had a similar sort of experience, and so um, we would sit down and we would talk about things. Um, I know that on the school bus, and I'll talk about school in just a minute, but our school, which was Faith Academy, uh, would send a school bus to pick us up, and on the way we would pick up the missionary kids at the Assemblies of God campground, mm -hmm. uh, or not campground, um, campus for their Bible school. Then we'd go pick up the children of the Lutheran missionaries. Um, and then we'd go pick up the conservative Baptist missionaries. <laughs> and by the time we get on the bus, you know, we're talking about things that are important to people. Like, you know, when communion cup comes around, do you take one? Is it just one cup or are there many cups? Uh, <laughs> Do you, do you drink from one cup and everybody drinks from? What kind of bread do you use for the communion? We had discussions about eternal security and and the five-point Calvinism versus Arminianism. I mean, we had, this was just kind of our context. It was just who we were, what we talked about. And we also talked a, a lot about, um, well, we did a lot of music together. And where we lived, our mission was an interdenominational mission, Far East Broadcasting Company. And across uh, the, there was a, a wall, but there was just an imaginary line. There was a Bible school. And on the other side of that Bible school was, uh, were missionaries from another organization called Far East Gospel Crusade, now called um, SEND International. And so between our compounds, we had 20, 30 uh, missionary kids. And so wow, we would- Wow, that's amazing. We would, we would um, you know, we would follow whatever the high school sports schedule was. If they were, if they were doing football, we would all do football. Okay. If they were doing baseball, we'd all do baseball. Um, when it was volleyball, we'd all do volleyball. Uh, and you do it at your level, and you'd always find kids that could play with you. At the same time, we learned a lot of Filipino games. Um, and we learned um, a couple of games that I, I, I still, I teach kids when I can because they're just so much fun to play. And you play it you play it with a tree as your base and you draw lines in the dirt. I mean, they're just everyday games you can play anywhere with mm -hmm. nothing. You don't have to have money for it. Yeah, you can do it when you're a camp counselor too. I did. In fact, yeah. I, would, I taught my kids how to do, how to yeah. do stuff. So it's one of those games. So we just, it was, a, and, and we had, um, we were at the time, the compounds that we both lived on were surrounded by rice paddies. Um, on sort of the, I think it was like the north side, I can't remember exactly, but on one side of our compound was the Bible school. On the other side, there was the barrio, so the, the, the community. But then 
on one side, it was just went out into, into kind of farming area. Uh, some of it had, had big trees, but a lot of it was just empty. But the, the place to go, though, was an abandoned Japanese rest and recreation fort. Had high walls all around it. And uh, a swimming pool that was empty. And we could find live munitions. <laughs> Every parent's dream. Yes. Spent munitions. Um, my brother had an experience interesting experience with a hand grenade, which I won't go into, uh, unscathed and unhurt, but the water buffalo that was standing next to it did not survive, I'm afraid to say. Wow. Um, <laughs> but we had, we had incredible freedom um, to go uh, in rainy season. Um, I remember I would go down into the, the Carabao, this water buffalo wallows, and swim in the wallows, which are just mud patches. Um, and um, come back with my, you know, my white t-shirt was brown. Um, <laughs> my mother would basically undress me at the door and then I had to get a, a shower, but I, we were free to do it. We would just go out and we would, we would go. I mean, they would want us to check in at different times. We had incredible freedom. The other parent, all parents looked out after the other kids. People, there, was, there were eyes on us, but um, it was a tremendous experience growing up with just just the multiple cultures and, you know, Christian context, just all mixed together. Yeah. Um, wow. Sounds like then a we community had, upbringing that's unlike what most children experience, at least in North America. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. And it was, it, it's, it's so extremely bonding. Um, as you look back through your life, you realize that the only people who really understand what you have lived through are those other kids. Uh -huh. yeah. Parents don't completely understand it. And the, your teachers don't completely understand it. But the other kids, they understand it. Yeah. So Tim, I just want to follow up real quick. So so you were there in the Philippines for a while. And I'm guessing at one point, some point, your family went home to the States, probably to raise some more support or visit supporters and so on. And you started having conversations or interactions with kids who weren't coming from that shared experience. Mm -hmm. uh, what, ha what happened there? I mean, tell me about an incident maybe when you realize, oh, these kids, we don't share the same set of uh, life experiences. To answer your question about when, when I was in second, so I went over when I was third, when I was in second grade, we came back for a year. And, um, I don't remember the sense that I felt different at that point. Okay. I sensed it later when I came back from college. Okay. Uh, at that point, then it became abundantly clear <laughs> <laughs> that I had a different experience than many of my uh, contemporaries. Uh huh. Um, but I, I, I fit in pretty well. I had been going to an American English speaking school. Uh, I, I did not, in second grade, did not experience a lot of uh, sense of disassociation with kids my age at all. Okay. So did you not come back to the U.S. between second grade and college? No. Then we came back when I was in sixth grade. And when I was in second grade, I went to a Christian school. When we came back in sixth grade, I went to a public school. And that was, that was a little bit different. A little I rude awakening. <laughs> that was a little bit more of the kind of the immersion into something different. And then I came back between my freshman and sophomore years in high school. And then I came back and just for the summer. And then I came back 
for my high, my college years and when I was just turned 18. Mm, wow. Okay. Okay. So yeah, those transitions are back and forth and kind of the limbo land. I experienced that for myself, almost identical to yours. Um, yeah. Being yeah. kind of, okay, this is my home is, for me it was Brazil, for you it was the Philippines and mm -hmm. the U.S. was the strange place you visited on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then tell us about when you moved overseas as an adult and what that was like for you to then raise your own TCKs, MKs? Well, um, you go with a number of, you, you, you go knowing some of what they're going to experience. And while I say your parents don't completely understand you as an MK, it's true for me too. I couldn't completely understand what they went through. But I understand that I understood a lot of things like you're going to feel different from other kids. Um, you're going to um, have a wider view of the world than the kids you're going to be encountering. Um, and um, I always tried to emphasize um, to my children that uh, they had incredible advantages. The advantages of seeing beyond a single culture, beyond a single language. And um, there's a number of things that we did to try and help our kids and we had a vastly different experience than my parents and that my parents were living on a compound. When we went to France, we lived in an apartment. Um, we worked with a, a local church. There were a few other American missionaries and we did bond with them and our kids did bond with them as well. But our kids went to French schools. Um, we felt like we're here, we're, we're gonna be integrated into the culture. Our children need to be part of the culture as well. And it was a tremendous open door for us to get into the culture and into the lives of people. We met, we met people, uh, we met their parents, we met teachers. It was a, it was, it was a significant opportunity for us. But um, our children then began to experience things that I had never experienced, being immersed into another culture. Because even though I lived in the Philippines, I was really kind of detached in some ways. Okay. For example, I lived there from the time I was three till I was 18 and never learned a language. Because yeah. I, went, I, went, I went to an English-speaking school. Sure. And most of my friends were Americans. And at that time, any of the educated people, and I should say most of the people in the Philippines, in Manila anyway, spoke English. So there was not a lot of motivation for me sure. or opportunity for me to do that. But I, something I regret. So I think, I think for them, uh, we wanted them to have the experience of living with both cultures. Um, one of the things that is happening now in missions is that families will often leave for the summer from wherever they're serving to come back to the United States for a three-month, four-month time. And so we did that with our children. But at one point, I... I just, I, rec I look back at my experience, how we came back for a year, and that year helped me, those two years I spent back in the States helped me when it actually came to moving back to the States. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, I want my children to experience America outside of the summer bubble. I mean, we can come back to the Pacific Northwest. I wanted them to understand that it actually rains in the Northwest. <laughs> yes, it, it does. It has been known to rain. Yeah. And they were always here in the summer where it's just beautiful. And so like, I wanted them to have that experience. But beyond that, I wanted them to have the experience of an American school. It actually created, created some problems down the road. But 
it was very important for them to have the experience of being in America, understanding that they were Americans, um, and that they had also this richness of uh, their experience of being in France. Well, I know that um, I'm just thinking about your kids going into French school and starting with the language right away and how probably how challenging that was for them from right off the bat, you know, starting starting mm-hmm. the new language and then um, you and Leslie having taken some language classes and going as prepared as you could, but still very much learning as you went as well. So... Yeah, well, interesting for my for our girls. When we got there, our oldest was just about three, and um, she turned three the month after we got there. And um, our other daughter was about a year and a half old. Um, in the like January or February, we tried to put our oldest daughter into um, into primary school, or not a primary school, but preschool, and um, it just freaked her out. She didn't have the language; it was really tough. So we pulled her back. But we began to make friends with, and we at church, we would met the folks who had children at the same age, and she began to pick up French on her own. Okay. So when the school year actually came around, she was fairly fluent, at least fluent enough to get by. Um, and the same thing with our, our, our second daughter. By the time she was ready to go to preschool, she, was, she could converse in French. Um, and all of our children, we spoke English first in the home, we figured, I speak French. We don't speak it as well as the French people. They should hear it from true French speakers. And so they have, you know, impeccable accents. Yeah. They speak fluently, but they also speak English fluently. So um, thinking about some of your experiences growing up as a third culture kid, I know we talked briefly about you coming back to the States and, and going to school and so on. Um, but were there some challenges or some things that maybe were kind of an obstacle or Just sort of that, you know, again, that just coming back to the idea of the reminder, like, oh, this isn't the culture I've spent most of my time in. There were were several different things. One was just like, uh, were kind of what I would call cultural landmarks I missed. So things like uh, television programs everybody knew about. Mm -hmm. There were some I didn't know about or um, some music. I just wasn't aware of. And so you just, you know, people are talking around you about certain things and you're just looking back and forth in ignorance and you feel like the fifth wheel. Then there were specific cultural situations you don't understand, you don't know, you don't know about. And I go to a situation that happened actually about three years after I got to the States, three or four. Um, I had a good friend who was getting married. He came from a fairly wealthy family. He was wearing, marrying a girl from an equally wealthy family. Um, he invited me to be part of his wedding party. And um, he said, by the way, we're having this kind of, a, we're having a, a shower uh, at a certain time. And um, I didn't know what to get him for the shower. So I go and ask his, his roommate. I said, well, you know, what's he need for the shower? You know, and it was, it was a group shower. So it was going to be both of them there and, and there were going to be, families that were going to be present. His, uh, his roommate jokingly says he needs socks. So I went and bought socks for um, his, his, uh, the sh- his shower. And then to top it off, uh, just to show how, I mean, he's coming across as, as culturally gauche. I showed up about a half an hour early 
you know, they're just, and it's being held in their house and they're just rushing around trying to get stuff there. And I'm, Hey, how you doing? You know, I'm just like a, you know, a fly in the ointment. Um, and, um, and so I can get, I begin to get these vibes that, Hey, things aren't quite right. And then they go and they start opening presents. And as they open the presents, I mean, they're like silver chafing dishes. I mean, who knows what are chafing dishes anymore, but you know, <laughs> silver and, you know, like, you know, China and all this kind of stuff. And they get this one package and it sucks. <laughs> I could have fallen through the floor at that Aww. moment because I was just, I was so embarrassed. I did not know uh-huh. at a shower, you're giving things to a, to a couple for their, for their, for life. Yeah. Um, and I, I found that that was some of one of the, the cultural situations that were really, really tough. One of the other things that was really tough for me too um, and I think a lot of TCKs, MKs, missionary kids feel this, is um, how difficult it can be at the end of a semester mm-hmm. if your parents aren't around. I remember being in the dorm many a, a semester where it all empties out and you are the last person there. And you're not exactly sure where you're going to go or how, you, okay. <laughs> what you're going to do next. And it's just, a, it's a very, it's very unnerving and... Mm-hmm disquieting experience. You feel very, very alone. Hmm. Um, and I found that those were some of the challenges that, that really struck me, particularly my first two years back, two, three years back uh, in, in the States. So I just had a thought if uh, maybe someone, uh, maybe someone listening here has someone they know that's going to um, high school or college in the States that their parents are overseas and, um, Maybe this is just a challenge to them to make sure that when a semester ends, when a holiday comes, to reach out to them and say, "Hey, um, do you have somewhere to go? Uh, could you join? Our, would you like to join our family for this um, fall break or spring break or something?" Is anyway, I just thought that's probably some a very practical thing someone could do. Absolutely, and I think most would jump. You know, if they don't have anything else going on, they'll jump at it um, just to be in in, in family. Um, and to be not in the dorm <laughs> yeah. could be a, a huge, a huge, uh, huge blessing for a kid. So what would you say are some of the advantages of being a TCK? I just, I'm super positive about the experience for, for TCKs. You get this, you get this really broad exposure to the world. Um, you, you get, you, be, you, you see people that are completely different than yourself or from your from your home culture, your, your, your parents' culture, you begin to see them um, and you, you, you learn to adapt and function. Um, I know that um, I took a trip in when I was uh, 24, 25 uh, to Asia with two other uh, Americans who had never lived outside the United States. And um, except one had been in Puerto Rico, I guess that's kind of merged into another culture, even though it's not out of the States. But I found myself just adapting so much quicker than they did. We get into a new situation, and they'd be kind of like they kind of almost dazed, and I'm kind of figuring it out. We would get, Brilliant. yeah, you 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 can um, adapt to environments quickly. Um, language is not is not an overpowering, overwhelming problem. You just got to say, I got to figure, I got to get this out, I got to get this one word at a time. <laughs> you get you get a word like please or you're welcome or thank you. And you begin to go from there and it begins to build. Um, I think it, it also um, allows you to um, 
understand that that uh, your own culture is not the right culture, but that your own culture is where you're comfortable, but there are other cultures where you can also be comfortable in, mm-hmm. and they have things. It's not a question of cultures being right or wrong, better or worse. Um, I, I, I feel so extremely rich having had my experience growing up. I just feel extremely blessed and extremely, I don't know how to say it, um, the French words start coming in my head, yeah. um, but filled up uh, with good things because of, uh, of my experience. Um, the, the missionaries I've known, some amazing people. The, uh, the teachers I had at Faith Academy, amazing. Uh, the opportunities to, to live in another culture, to know how to eat other foods, to navigate strange places. It, it's just, it's it, an incredible, incredible gift. I think uh, part, of, part of it too is, is you get not only a broad sense of what the world is like, you also get specifics that are, that are really powerful. Um, like in, um, uh, there's an MK from Ecuador and they asked them, uh, so what are your memories of the riots in Quito? And he said, tax. He said, tax? What, they would, what the police would do would be spread tax out on the road so that any cars coming along, would, their tires would go flat so they couldn't Whoa. go through. Who would know that? Yeah. Who would know that? Um, the, you know, the smell of durian, which is a fruit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll, save, we'll save we'll save the durian podcast for, for all the time. <laughs> But I'm just I'm just pointing out the specifics. Yeah. Things that, that you that you that you walk away with with the richness. I mean yeah. the, the taste in the Philippines of pancit, the sound of a Filipino accent. I can pick a Filipino out of a supermarket. If people are talking all around me, I can just pick them out. But if I can just if I can just hear a bit of them say two or three words, I can pick them out. Yeah. Um, and that sense of connection to uh, uh, particular things in your in your life is extremely rich. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 I know that uh, smell is one of our most key uh, senses. And so probably, I'm guessing if you have a chance to be somewhere that's a little humid, a little warm, and, and there's probably some smells that come back to you that go, oh, I know this smell. And it just oh, yeah. takes you right back to your time in the Philippines. Yeah. You know, I was in Hawaii. Um, not last year, but the year before, and um, just smelling a banana plantation mm. and um, certain papaya, um, smelling smelling a, a, it's a little brown fruit called a chico, and when you smell it, it it just it it's just transporting. So um, we talked a little bit already about your education choices and how you started the girls off in French school and I know eventually the boys as well. But then as they got older, you had to make some decisions. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, like I said, we came back to the States for a year. We actually did it twice. Um, and we came back when the girls were in middle school and my oldest daughter was in eighth grade. And uh, she did it eighth grade in the States. It was really interesting. The first half of the year, she couldn't say anything nice about America or American schools. And somewhere around Christmas, it shifted. And suddenly, she couldn't say anything nice about French schools. And um, uh, when we took her back then, she was in a program in a French public school, uh, but it had uh, an international track. So she got some English taught to her by English speakers, by 
English speakers. So it wasn't learning English as a foreign language. Um, but she was still immersed in the French system and it was really, really difficult for her. Um, so um, we then decided that we were going to find another alternative for her. And at that time, there was an international school, Christian international school in, in Lyon, which was about an hour from our house. Um, and they had a sort of a boarding program. And so uh, I say sort of because they had a house with like five rooms and four kids <laughs> that were there, plus uh, the, the house parents. So we, she went to school for two years there, but at, as the second year was wind, winding down, it was evident she was struggling and, and, and our, our other children were not finding really good options uh, in the French school system. And we began, we just came to the conclusion we've got, we've got to find another solution. I was also kind of at the end of what I felt um, I could do or wanted to do as far as ministry in the local church uh, in France. And, um, and so we investigated Black Forest Academy, which is a school primarily for the children of missionaries, but also for, for others as well. And um, I applied and was accepted to, to go there to teach French and um, eventually Bible. Uh, but that was a time of transition for our children. So my oldest daughter went in as a senior, which was a little unfortunate. I, looking back, I always wish that she'd gone in as a, held her back and she'd redone her junior year and then her senior year, partly because it would have just given her that much more time to actually build relationships. Yeah. And then our youngest daughter was um, a sophomore. Our oldest son was in... I believe seventh grade and our youngest had just finished first grade in French. And so we put him in first grade in English. Okay. That so was a really good transition for all of our, our, our three youngest. It was a very good transition. Uh, for our oldest, it was a little bit more difficult. Another reason I wished she had started in the junior class was that senior class was a really difficult class. Okay. And um, there were some really tough personalities in there that were difficult for her so those are that, sort of the, that meant a move from france to germany for you guys that meant a, yeah well actually it didn't no not initially because black force academy is about a half an hour from the french border oh okay and we moved because we didn't want to lose um a number of benefits that we had living in france including we had what was absolutely so hard to get which was a work permit we we didn't want to move so for a year we lived in france i was also intending to do a doctoral program um actually in the same town as black force academy condren germany um they moved it <laughs> the summer i moved it there they moved it to lithuania oh. so oh. I mean, that's that's a tough commute yeah that is a, that's a tougher commute so um i was only working part-time at, at black force academy but we then shifted and realized we've got to just invest at Black Forest. And then we moved into Germany. Well, let's see, that was another transition, the cultures. I mean, probably even just being on the border, you're already starting to experience more yes. German culture. Because it was a border with two countries. It was a border with Germany and with Switzerland. Okay. And um, we could look out from our apartment right over into Switzerland. Our community wow. garden was actually in Switzerland. 
Um, wow. we, we, yeah, there was a lot of cultural stuff going on. And in that part of France, they're very much different than other parts of France in that they have, they speak a German dialect. Huh. I remember taking my, my daughter, I think it was my daughter, or maybe I went myself, I can't remember. But I went to the doctor's office and I checked in in French and I sat down in the waiting room and everybody's speaking Alemanish to each other. And I'm going, or uh, Alsatian, excuse me, Alsatian to each other. I'm going, what? Where, where am I? <laughs> I got in to see my doctor. He spoke French. He spoke Alsatian too, but he spoke French to me. And, yeah. and um, I know when we, when we went there to visit, we actually went into all three countries like in succession. Is within like about half an hour of each other, each other. And so at the end of the trip, the kids were looking at me, so what country are we in now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's, uh-huh. that's a unique TCK experience right there and missionary experience. But. One of the things I would just share about how kids pick up language is really interesting too. When, when our daughter was like, our oldest daughter was about three and a half, we went to a missionary conference in Germany. We went to the missionary conference and we came back from the conference and um, I heard her standing in front of the mirror in the bathroom talking to herself, but I couldn't understand anything she was saying. So I kind of sneak my head in and I say, are you speaking English? No. Are you speaking French? No. What are you speaking? She said, German. <laughs> Three and a half years old. She wasn't speaking German. She was using German phonetics yeah. or phonemes, but she was not speaking German. But the thing is she understood it. Three and a half. There right. was another language out there, even more than French language. Yeah, and that, that had so been that's, a ma- that's matter funny. of just a few days' exposure. Exactly. It was a week. Yeah. That's, that's I, amazing. I've heard lots of stories about kids playing with one another, multiple languages involved, right? And the kids mm-hmm. e- eventually invent their own language. And they're mm-hmm. often talking among themselves in a combination of two or three languages. And they completely understand one another. Yeah. Yes. I think that when TCK learn other languages, yeah. yes, that can be interesting. I I had some of that. And my mom had a rule with me and some other TCKs that we would mi- mix English and Portuguese together. And she's like, you have to finish your sentence in one language and then switch to the other language. You cannot keep doing this hodgepodge. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Um, let's ask, how has being a TCK shaped your worldview? Well... It's made it, made it difficult for me to hear people say, Americans say, America is the greatest country in the world. I, I don't disagree that there are tremendous, tremendous values, freedoms, things that we enjoy in the United States. But when you've lived, you know, a pretty long time in three, two, two or three different cultures, four different cultures, you begin to see, oh, there's different ways of handling this. So there's different ways of doing that. Yeah. And you look at the way we're doing it in America and you go, well, maybe, maybe this isn't so great. Maybe there yeah. is a better way of doing it. And so it gives you uh, less willing to say that one statement. I remember being in a church in which there were international people present. And one of the Americans stood up and said, America is the greatest country in the world. And I looked over at them and I thought, what are they thinking? Yeah. And I realized they're thinking what I'm thinking. We've seen other and in some senses, we've seen better in some aspects. And we've also seen worse. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that is all part of what makes um, my view of the world different. I think, too, um, having lived in France, uh, particularly French, the French government, when we first went there, the French president 
premier of France was, or not premier, but the president of France was a socialist. He did incredible work to promote capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> it was at that time the fifth, I think the fifth largest economy in the world. Um, and and uh, so when my uh, father-in-law calls me up several years later and says to me, do you know that a socialist got elected in France for the pres a president? I was sort of like ho-hum for me. It was like, uh, yeah, because socialism in France isn't communism, um, isn't, at least what we saw, was not something that eradicated personal freedom. And so I was much less alarmed by uh, that whole uh, experience. Um, and so I think it, it makes you politically sensitive. I, I would say I'm, you know, politically in America, I'm kind of like down the road. Some, some years I vote Republican, some years I vote Democrat, some, some years I don't know who to vote for. Yeah. Um, but it, politically it's left me hard. It's really hard to be dogmatic one way or another, certainly not committed to one party or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, it touches on some of that, what you mentioned earlier, that you're, you've seen that the world has a variety of ways of doing things. It's not a one-size-fits-all. The world is unique, and there are so many different ways of doing things, and our way isn't always the only way or the right way. And, um, yeah, I think that's part of the uniqueness of being a TCK, is that you, you can see possibilities. We recently had a Japanese student living with us. Yeah. We recently had a Japanese student living with us, and... Um, when we had to wear masks for her, no big deal. Right. Because in the Japanese culture, wearing masks is an everyday occurrence. I mean, it's uh-huh. very common. And uh, and so we began to see that kind of from her perspective. And then we see some of the American perspective, which is highly reactive to wearing a yeah, mask. I, know. I mean, who likes them? But, but culturally, we went, oh, hmm. And that just kind of, just kind of, tilted us towards the idea that, oh, well, there are culture, different cultures would handle this slightly differently. Yeah, right. And I think um, you understand that other cultures, they have a higher concern for the good of everyone as opposed for the good of the individual. And so you start learning, you really learn about your own culture when you step out of it and step into another culture, because then you sort of look back on it and you see uh, like, oh, oh, these things that I believed or these things I was taught or these things, the way we do things, they aren't always the only way to do it. And so you you start seeing a lot of different things. So it can shape, yeah, it has shaped our family. I think, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You don't realize you can't really see your own culture until you step into another. Yeah. And um, the... Uh, one of the uh, Hochstetter and Hochstetter who wrote a big book on uh, culture say that culture is invisible software. Yeah. It's a thing that we run on, right. but it's invisible. We don't, we don't see it ourselves yeah. until we have to. And I, what really, really came clear to me, I, I led a team of Americans over to the East end of London to do evangelism. We're all staying with British families. And I had families starting to come to me completely. The Americans staying with them took a shower every day. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, why not? And, and they would say, well, that's just not the way it's done. You know, uh, it's every other day or every two days or maybe once a week. But then you take a slipper bath and you wash off with a washcloth. And that's how you stay clean. 
uh, instead of having to take a shower because that's highly expensive. Yeah, there are things that we're so used to that um, we we wouldn't give them a second thought. I know back um, when the Olympics years ago were back in Lillehammer or in Norway, mm-hmm. and um, right off the bat the laundry system the Norwegians had put in place was immediately overwhelmed by guess who you know they're like they didn't count on the fact the Americans were going to wash so many clothes so often because that's typically most countries you wash very infrequently and you hang them out to dry and you know it's just not an everyday sort of thing but yeah just one of those things you wouldn't know you wouldn't know if you weren't in another country and another culture and Anything else you want to comment on? Um, I know you work with a lot of different people. Um, do you just feel like when you are working and mixing among other ethnicities and so on that it's just really, you don't even give it a second thought probably? I, I, you know, you still have to work at understanding someone else's culture. It's not something you just fall into. Mm-hmm. But what I find myself connecting with is I find myself connecting with other TCKs. Okay. Because there are a lot more TCKs than missionary kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing a training in uh, down in Eugene, and a participant in the training that I was doing came up to me after I had used the word, the words, the language of the heart. I was talking about someone having to no longer speak their their native language. So I talked about the, the language of the heart. And she came up to me. She said, "Where'd you get that expression?" And I. I didn't, I didn't answer it completely, but I did. I got it from Wycliffe Bible translators. That's how they talk about how, the need for the language, for the Bible and the language of the heart. And um, she said, that's interesting because um, I grew up in, um, and she said, and I, I know she used a French word. I said, yeah, I did. I, I unknowingly did. And, and she said, um, because I speak French too. I said, how do you, how do you speak French? She says, well, my, my dad from Colombia, was an ambassador in Belgium. And so I went to French schools. Oh, I said, you know that you're a TCK, don't you? She said, a what? A third culture kid. She said, oh, what's that? And so I began to explain to her what a third culture kid was. And she, we talked for like half an hour, 45 minutes after the training day one. Day two, we talked for almost an hour afterwards. And when it was done, she said, Thank you so much. You know, I've always felt like I don't belong anywhere. I can't go back to my home country. I feel a little bit separated from this country that I'm living in right now. But now I know who I connect to. Yeah. yeah. And it was pretty mind-boggling for me to have that experience. Um, but it's fun. And I, I do fairly consistently run into uh, diplomat kids, uh, army brats, which is not a derogatory term. That's what they call themselves. Military brats, yeah. uh, international business kids. And there's a growing number of third culture kids, growing, growing, growing. Yeah. As, as, as our world expands, as people travel, as people yeah. uh, work overseas, this number of people, the third culture kids is an expanding group. Well, Tim, we're really grateful for your time. And um, we're, I've enjoyed every minute of it. And we're trusting that our listeners are going to really enjoy this and hopefully be more aware of their, their kids as they're raising third culture kids or if they're listening and they're living in a setting where they have the interaction with third culture kids maybe a, a family home on uh, home assignment or someone that's uh, attending school i hope they'll uh, take this to heart and maybe take that extra time to ask some questions or befriend this person 
Thank you for your time, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Innkeepers podcast. Our mission at Sanctuary Inn is to equip, refresh, and restore God's global workers for kingdom purposes. We hope today's podcast was an encouragement to you, and maybe you were prompted to pass this along to someone you know that will benefit from today's conversation. Creating a podcast is a team effort. Car and I prepare and do the interviews, and we're grateful for the time that our guests give us out of their busy schedules to help us learn more about missionary care. We also want to thank Tim Downing for the music that he wrote and performed specifically for the Innkeepers podcast. Tim is a very talented musician, and you can learn more about him and his work at downingkeys.com. Our podcast is edited by Javier Bolanos and is produced by Tim Cowley of Cowley Visuals. If you have media needs, including film, photography, or audio, you can reach Tim at cowleyvisuals.com. Our website and show notes are prepared by Micah Gibbons, Cara's amazing husband. You can visit the Sanctuary Inn website and learn more about the ministry of Sanctuary Inn at sanctuaryinn.org. Thank you again for joining us on our journey to learn more about missionary care. See you next time.